When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and welcome to another episode of TH on the T. Yeah. <laughs> My girlfriend's sitting in the room across from me, and as soon as I did that, she started dying laughing. So she gets a live live performance of the podcast today, I guess. <laughs> oh. All right, and welcome into another episode of THN on the O. As always, I am your host, Tony Fry, joined by my equally bold counterpart, Brock Otten. How's it going? Good, Tony. How you doing? Not too bad. It's top prospects week. It's going to be a good time to talk about all that, all that game and get together with all that stuff. But first, let's get to the three stars of the week, as we always do. And big week this week, 10 points in, in just four games for James Hardy. Two goals, eight assists. What did you think about his performance this week? I mean, it's great to see uh, Mississauga traded away all those guys and James Hardy was kind of left behind. It felt uh, a smidge bad for him, considering that they're going in a bit of a different direction. But it's also an opportunity for him to take on uh, a leadership role and mentor some of these young players that they've brought in and hopefully maybe even win a playoff round. Right. You, you never know and and see where that goes. But Hardy had a great week, uh, has moved into the top 10 in OHL scoring now, which is really good for him. Definitely helping him earn possibly a pro contract next year, whether that's NHL, an AHL deal. AHL deals, I would assume, maybe more likely than than an AHL deal at this point. But, uh, yeah, I think Hardy's playing really, really well. I think he's he's kind of taken those next steps forward that he's needed to sort of every year. I feel like he's gotten better um, and rounded out his game every year. And, yeah, it's, it's great to see that he had such a, a strong performance this week. Yeah, I think the most interesting part about his week is that it's eight assists. It's not even the goal scoring that's really been hot for him this week. And it's a big thing for him, I think, rounding out his game because we've all known he's had the shot for a couple of years now. And everyone kind of seems to go, why did he go undrafted again? Why did he go undrafted again? And it's always been the mobility that's a big issue. But we're starting to see that come around, like you said, a little bit. The shots there, some of the playmaking was obviously on display this week. So it's going to be good to kind of see where he does end up. Like you said, AHL deals probably where he gets to, but it, it's going to be fun to kind of see Hardy completely take over the attack in, in Mississauga. Now, our second star of the week is Xander Vecchia, five goals, four assists for nine points in four games. Another big performance for the week. Which like about his game? Well, it's interesting because as Mississauga moved out players, guys like Vecchia are going to get an opportunity to play higher in the lineup. He's in 04. Didn't get drafted last year. Kind of a high-energy guy. And now he's getting an opportunity to play in a top-six role and, and special teams and things like that. And it's going to be good for his development, obviously, for Mississauga as a, as a team as well. If if he can turn into a top-six player and play alongside that group of 05s and 06s that they've sort of brought in with trades and, and drafted and that next core group of, of the Steelheads, I guess you could say. So... Yeah, the rest of the season is going to be a great opportunity for Vecchia, and so far, early returns are great. Yeah, it's one of those things where anytime you're over a goal a game, it's a big week for you. And the fact that he was able to add on four assists as well, 
over two points a game for the week. It's just a really fun, good performance for him. Like you said, getting that extra opportunity with all the guys moving out, getting to kind of play with guys higher up in the lineup and, and be able to kind of make his mark and show off the skill. I think we've all kind of known he's had, just not had the opportunity yet. So it's good to see him do that. And then Marco Constantini, two wins, two goals against average, 944 save percentage, including beating Ottawa and London this week. Yeah, huge week for the Kitchener Rangers, right? They they need to start making up ground in the Western Conference standings. I mean, we're going to talk about that later. And Constantini had a great week in those wins over Ottawa and London, and he needs to continue to play at that level, right? It's It can't just be, okay, Marco Constantini is our top goalie of the week, even though he wasn't the goaltender of the week. It was um, Mason Vicari. But I just feel like he deserves the nod maybe over Vicari just by – or based on the two teams that he beat and how Kitchener really needed to string together those two wins against top teams in, in the OHL. Yeah, we're going to talk about Kitchener when we get to some of the over-under segment that we've got planned for today. But there's so much just going on with Kitchener this year. We've talked about them a number of times. They've been kind of a fixture on the show this year. And the inconsistency has been the big thing. I think Constantini has been in the three stars or right around the three stars a couple of times this year. But there's also been times where he's been absolutely dreadful and the team has been absolutely dreadful. It's that consistency that we're looking for. And hopefully from here on out, he can kind of solidify the crease and be the guy on the back end that they were hoping he was going to be coming into the year. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're going to need him to be on the top of his game or at the top of his game to really make that push up the standings. All right. Now let's get to another segment that we have for this week, and that's our over-unders. We're going to go over some different lines for the OHL that we've kind of made up ourselves. Uh, based on goals, points, wins, how many days till a coach gets fired. And I think that's probably the best spot to start off with. You set the over-under on this one at six and a half days for how long until Peter Rose coach Rob Wilson gets fired? And where are you kind of leaning toward on on the over-under there? (sighs) I'm leaning under. I think his time is drawing to a close in Peterborough. I just feel like this team has not come together the moves that they've made, they can't seem to find the kind of chemistry that promotes consistency. They're the second most penalized team in the OHL. So they're spending too much time shorthanded, which when your team is lacking discipline, that can fall on a coaching staff or, or a coach, right? That's something that is something that they can have a strong influence on. It's just not coming together. And this is a team that's pushed all of their chips in this year. And so many of the other teams in the Eastern Conference are playing really well. And I just, honestly, if Peterborough loses their next game, I could see it happening right then and there. Um, so I'm going to take the under. What about you, Tony? I'm going to lean the under too as well. But if you gave me one extra day, if you gave it, because we're recording this on Tuesday evening, if you gave me one extra day and I could go with the Monday, I think that's probably when he gets fired. Get, get him through the weekend. If he can't have a good week, kind of through the weekend, then he get, gets cut and get gets axed. But if, if it's a, the six and a half, I got to go under six and a half and, and give them the, the, the axe, give them, get them on the chopping block now because that Peterborough team needs to kind of get it going now because there's 25 games left in the season, 26 games left in the season. And you can't really be falling behind at this point. So you need to get things rolling, need to get the team going now. And a fresh voice in there might get them the new coach bump. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I, I If you're going to do that sort of thing, you've got to do it now. You've got to get that team on a positive upward trend heading into the playoffs and not just near the playoffs. We're talking, like you said, 
15, 20 games out and not five games out. It needs to be, um, it needs to be soon. All right. Ne- our next over under deals with the Niagara ice dogs and it's over under how many more wins for the season? Five and a half is the line we have set. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the thing. We haven't had a team since 2014, 2015. It was the Sudbury Wolves who had 12. So that was the one thing I was kind of like basing my answer here on. And then I went and looked at Niagara's schedule and they've got a lot of games against Erie. They got a lot of games against Hamilton. They got a lot of games against Sudbury, Oshawa, the Sioux. They've got a relatively easy schedule the rest of the way. So if we're setting the over-under at five and a half, I think they can probably hit the over there. I think they could possibly win maybe six or seven games left on the slate, get themselves into that sort of like 15, 16 win range. Look, this team is trying hard. Like they've had a couple close ones recently, even though they haven't won in the next in the last calendar year. They've had a few close ones. Some of the new additions to the team, like Alex Asadorian, are playing well. It's going to happen. Um, the team is still a bit of a mess. I think the projection or the the future of the team, the direction of the team is still a bit of a mess. But if we're just talking straight over under, I think they can do it based on the strength of the schedule. What do you think, Tony? I'm going under just because mm-hmm. this team has been so chaotic this year. It's been an absolute dumpster fire at times. I've mentioned it so many times. There's They've absolutely blown everyone out of the water in terms of the amount of trades they've made since the end of last season, going through the offseason, through this season. They don't seem to know what they want to do. They don't seem to know where they want to settle in. What's their play style? What's their defensive group looking like? It, it, it's such a weird kind of goofy, inconsistent plan. I think that's the biggest thing is the, the plan they have is, is all over the place. So I'm going to go under just for fun sake and the, the sake of chaos, because this team, while I don't think the actual talent level is currently where they, they've been at all year, I, I do think that they're going to kind of limp through some of those teams at the back half of the year that are going to be looking to build and use some of their younger guys in more prominent roles as the season kind of goes on. Then do they get the first overall pick? That is the next question. I know that's not part of our over-under, but I'm just curious. What do you think? Yeah, I think they probably end up getting it because this team has just been wild this year. So if, if I'm going with it, with where they're picking, I'm probably going to go with first, first overall, if not second. Yeah, I mean, it is obviously a, a lottery now. They're going to have the best odds. I would be shocked if they don't. Now, recruiting, who that first overall pick ends up being. If it's, say, Brian Rubrek, does he say... I have no interest in going to Niagara based on what's happening there. Uh, that's going to be a whole nother ball game. And I'm sure it'll be something we talk about closer to the draft, but yeah, next over under. All right. The next over under, we're getting into some player numbers now. And, and Colby Barlow is second in the league in goals right now. And he's currently on pace for 53. So I have the over under set at 51 and a half. Do you think he's going over that or under? I think he's going over. I think that Owen Sound is going to have a reasonably strong second half as they start to get even more healthy. They've had some injury issues the last couple months. I think they're going to start to get more healthy. They're going to start playing better. And I think Barlow is going to hit over 50 at the very least. And I do think it'll be over 51 and a half. I think he's going to hit like close to that 52, 53, 54 range. I think the pace is 53. Um, five guys in the last millennium have hit the 50 goal mark. Uh, in their U18 year, that's Tavares, Stamkos, Dabrinkit, Kaliev, Jeff Skinner. Um, 
If Barlow gets to 53 or 54, that would be the third best in this millennium behind Stammer and Tavares. And I think he can do it. Yeah, I think we're going to put it over 51 and a half. I think 52, 53 is kind of where he ends up. You, I think everyone's listening to this podcast knows I'm not the biggest Colby Barlow fan. But in terms of projecting his goal scoring ability to the OHL, this kid's an absolute stud. He does everything that you need to do, gets to the dirty areas. He's got a pretty good shot from distance. And he, he's just got a guy that will crash and bang around the net. He's got a really high, high danger shooting or really high percentage of getting to the high danger areas and, and tight. So I think he's going to end up getting to that 50, 52, 53 spot. I don't know if he touches 55, but I think he's going to get close. Yeah. And uh, Stammer was 58. I don't think he's going to get that high either. That would be second. Um, but to bring it, Kalia for 51. And Skinner was 50 on the nose. So I do think he's got a good chance to pass those three. All right. Our next over-under is Ty Voigt, the current points leader in the OHL. He's currently on pace for 105. I have the over-under set at 103.5. It's going to be a, a, a kind of a, a fun one for to see him chase it down, especially because he is so reliant on the assists. Yeah, I think I'm going to take the over here. Sarnia has loaded up the surrounding cast around Voigt has improved, which is going to take a little bit less pressure off of him. It's going to elevate his play even further. So I'm going to take the over there. I think that Ty Voigt will be over. I think he'll probably hit around that 105, 110 range uh, that he's sort of on pace for. Tony? Yeah, I'm going to go under on this one. I Ooh. think he's going to kind of slow down towards the end of the year. I think he could have a big playoff. But I think there is a lot of talent there. And I think something that Sarnia is going to do is – switch up guys kind of see what works who's playing where and they're going to tinker with it a little bit as they kind of work towards the playoffs and see what their optimal lineup is maybe that impacts his numbers a little bit and i am always a little bit hesitant on a guy that's so reliant on one area of the game like he is as a playmaker if he can find a way to put in five six seven goals in a couple in over a couple weeks span then maybe i become a little bit more confident in it but he is so reliant on that assist so i'm going to go under but i do think he's going to be kind of rating that 102 103 range so let me ask you this then. If it's not Ty Voigt as the OHL scoring champion, who is it? Matt Maggio. I think him, and this is going to kind of kind of be a counterintuitive to what I just said, but him kind of meshing as well as he has with Brett Harrison already and the addition of Shane Wright on that Windsor top line. He's currently second in the league in scoring. I could see him kind of just squeaking ahead of, of a guy like Ty Voigt in the scoring race because he is a guy that does it a little bit in both areas of the ice. If he has a bad week in terms of goal scoring, he's setting up Harrison and right. If he has a bad week in terms of setting those two up, he's kind of getting to the net and doing it himself as well. So I worry a little bit less about the consistency of his scoring. And I, I think that's why I'd lean towards Maggio. I, I agree completely. I think it's going to be Maggio as well. All right. Now we talked about Kitchener earlier. So what is the over under on their standings position? I currently have it set at seven and a half. They're currently sitting eighth in terms of point percentage, but ninth in terms of total points with a couple of games in hand. So where do you kind of see them finishing in the standings? I'm going to go over. I think that they have a good chance of getting into that like six or seven spot. I think they can get out of eighth. I think that they will start to play better as the year goes on. We're even seeing it lately. A couple of big wins this past week. I think the light bulb will finally go on there. Consistency will no longer be an issue and they're going to go kind of on like a bit of a hot streak getting into the playoffs. So I'm going to take them into that like sixth or seventh spot in the conference. Tony? I've lost faith in them. I'm going under. I'm going I'm going to say they missed the playoffs completely. I'll even take it a step further. 
I, I just think this team has been so wildly inconsistent. And every time we go, Kitchener's had a hot week, they're going to kind of start to pick it up and, and play a little bit more consistent. They go on a three-game losing streak or something, or they lose four out of five. And it's just been so frustrating to watch. So maybe if I show a little less faith in them, they'll have a better end of the year. You're the bad luck charm. It's definitely you, Tony. That's my hope, right? All right. Now let's get to a couple of big additions to the to the OHL over the last month or so. Shane Wright over under 60 and a half points currently on pace for 59 despite only playing you know just about 30 games for the year taking the over like you said the chemistry on that first line is is incredible that power play is going to be absolutely lethal I think he's going to hit that mark yeah I'm definitely going over on this one uh and it might be the hometown favoritism here a little bit but seeing them a couple times now and seeing how they've meshed well together and, and just seeing the blending of their play styles. I think they work really, really well together. And I think Shane Wright's going to be able to keep up this 1.85 points per game pace he's got. And I think he's going to be able to touch 65, maybe even 70 if he gets hot towards the end of the year. Yeah, I, I agree. Totally. All right. Now another addition to the OHL, Brant Clark, same amount of points, the same amount of games played, but he's got an extra game for his team so far. So there is a his over under set at 58 and a half, currently on pace for 60, though. Um, going the over. I think uh Brand Clark is he's really on par with Pavel Minchikov in, in terms of being the two most dominant defenders in the OHL this year. Barry is playing really, really well. Um, he's obviously very familiar with that team. It's it's not like Shane Wright who's adjusting to new surroundings. Brand Clark is a very cold. Um, so there's no adjustment period there. He's coming back. He's confident. He's playing really well. I think that's going to continue. And I think he hits the over there. Yeah. Setting the over under at 58 and a half kind of felt a little criminal because it was an easy over for me as well. I think he's going to touch 60, 65. I think he's going to be a guy, like you said, doesn't have to adjust to a new teammates, doesn't have to adjust to a whole lot of new in his life. He's just going back to dominate where he's been dominating for a couple of years now. So I think he goes over on that number. And like you said, outside of Pavel Minchikov, I think he's probably the best defenseman in the OHL. And even still, like projecting to the next level, I think he could easily, he could be as good or better. Yeah, I agree. And now our last over-under on the day is a fun one because it involves Michael Meese, the 2025 NHL draft prospect, the uh, exceptional status player for this year, one of the best 15-year-old seasons we've seen to date. He's currently on pace for 77 points which would tie John Tavares' record for a 15-year-old season. He's, he, if he does it, he'd do it in less games. Do you think he surpasses the over-under I set at 77.5? Does he break the record or not, basically? I am taking the under, um, and here's why. I think that as much as I have absolutely loved Michael Misa this year, he's been absolutely fantastic. I think that there could be a bit of a wall hit here. Saginaw's got a, a tough schedule down the stretch. Um, being in the Western Conference, trying to close out the year with some really good teams. Um, they've obviously made a few moves. Pavel Minchikov uh, being the main one going out of town there. And a lot of pressure is going to be on him. And I think it's a, it's a long year for somebody that's exceptional status. And we've seen quite a few players be at this sort of level. Maybe not quite as, as much as Michael Misa, but we've seen some of our previous exceptional status players kind of at that level, and then they kind of fizzle out towards the end of the year because it's it's a long, draining season. And I think if I were to place a bet on this, the safe thing, I think, would be to take the under. There's a reason why Tavares is, has withheld 
some pretty good players that have gotten that exceptional status. And that's because it's, it's hard. It's hard to finish the year strong as uh, an exceptional status player. Yeah, I'm going to go with the under as well. I want to go with the over. I really, really do because I'm always on the side of breaking history and, and, and setting records and whatnot. But seeing him live now once and seeing him a couple times since Minshugov and the, some of the other guys have been moved out of town in Saginaw, he does so many things on the ice that are so, so high level. And he really, truly is a special player. And he's going to be really fun to watch over the next couple of years as he develops into that NHL prospect that we're all hoping he does as many of these exceptional status players do. But the other thing is he's very much alone at times. I think there, there are some really young, intriguing players in that team coming up. But right now, it really is the Michael Misa show, and he's doing so many things on his own. I remember in Shane Wright's first game, it was against Saginaw, and, and there was a time where Misa spun off of Shane Wright, spun off of, uh, of Denicio, the Windsor defenseman, found open space and absolutely everyone was covered by the, uh, by a Windsor player. And it was like, no one was moving their feet. No one was kind of getting open for him. And like I said, there is young talent coming on that team. I think next year's the year we really see me as a pop, maybe even challenge hundred points that year. But right now I think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge for him. And I think he kind of settles in above where McDavid and, and Shane Ray got to in that 60, 67, 68 point range. And I think he touches 70. I don't think he gets to, to John Tavares' 77 though. Yeah, I agree. I think if you had set the over-under, I'd say like 69 and a half, I would take the over as I do think he's got a chance to hit 70. But that Tavares record, it's a hard one. Yeah, we've seen a few guys challenge it. A few guys come close in terms of pacing and whatnot, but no one's touched it yet. So maybe another year and a, and a couple other exceptional status kids will get to see challenge that record. But for now, let's move on to the 2023 draft profile for the episode. We've chosen to do Cal Ritchie this this week. Uh Oshawa General uh, Center, 41 games played, 17 goals, 23 assists for 40 points. He's been a guy that's gotten a little bit better recently, but he did start off the year pretty slow. Yeah, I think it was it was kind of tough being on an Oshawa team that was kind of up and down and inconsistent themselves, right? Um, a bit of a younger team. The expectation all along was that they would be rebuilding this year. It was a matter of when Brett Harrison was leaving and not if. Um, that, that can be a challenge for a player like Richie who's – the, the weight on his shoulders is pretty heavy, right? Uh, in his draft eligible year, entered the year as a potential top seven, top eight guy. Now looks more like a mid first. Um, you know, there is a chance of that that can sway in either direction. But right now, that's kind of looking like a more safe bet. And um, he has been way better lately, though. I think that now that Brett Harrison has moved and the team is clearly in that rebuild mode, there's a little bit of like a sigh of relief, I feel like. It's kind of like, okay, we know what we are. We're going to go out every night and we're going to try to win and we're going to play hard. And if we don't win, it's not the end of the world because the direction of this team is moving forward and there's not a lot of pressure to, to be a contender this year, right? And now Richie can kind of just relax and play his game. And I feel like that has happened. Uh, it kind of started with the TSN game and – um, now he's playing really, really high level hockey and kind of goes into the uh, CHL top prospects game. And I think, uh, it's going to, you know, build momentum towards the U 18s, which I, which I would imagine he's a big part of as well. So he's definitely trending upward, which is great. Yeah. I think the big thing with him is you've seen the improvement, despite starting off a little slower than we've all expected. 
since the trade deadline, since he's been kind of since the new year, really, he's taken steps. He's gotten on a bit of a higher scoring pace and he still shows the intelligence off the puck. He still shows some of the two way flashes that we love to see from his game that we kind of expected coming into the year. I, I think the big thing with him is that we just haven't seen the scoring. And, and at the end of the day, being on an Oshawa team that isn't very competitive, isn't very uh, strong at the end of the day is kind of an issue for him. And I think he does need a bit more of a supporting cast that plays a little bit of a, a faster, higher paced game. But I think he's a guy that is going to still improve his draft stock in the second half of the year, or a little bit less than the second half of the year, but the last third of the year or so, and, and maybe use the top prospects game as a jumping off point. What do you see as his biggest strength coming in or going into the end of the year? I definitely think it's that playmaking ability. Like you said, um, the first half of the year, I found his pace to be just a little bit behind. I feel like part of that is there's a need to upgrade his skating. I think that the first few steps are, are a little bit slow. I think that he needs to be a little bit more explosive. I think that was sort of affecting his ability to play with pace. He seemed like he was unsure of sort of how to attack that without the ability to beat defenders one-on-one, -on -one, at least consistently anyway. And now I feel like he's really leaning on his vision and his hockey sense to sort of slow the game down and be comfortable with that, but also, um, you know, push it when, when he needs to. And Oshawa's power play has been incredible all year. And I think that's a testament to how a guy like Kyle Ritchie sees the ice and, and plays without the puck and, and kind of moves in and out of traffic and, and navigates. He's, he's definitely sort of like a, a floor general out there in, in that regard. And I think the, the key to his development moving forward is how he builds out some of those athletic tools around his, his vision, hockey sense, and skill. Yeah, I think the big thing with him is just kind of getting stronger in that lower body, developing a little bit more power, especially in those first couple steps, like you said. And, and then the big thing is we see him kind of playing with more pace now, but it's not that he's playing physically faster. He's playing mentally faster. I think that's always going to be the strength of his game is the fact that he's able to kind of think a little bit ahead of other guys. He's able to play with pace by using the, the processing speed that he has rather than using his, his feet. He's not a, certainly not a guy like McDavid, who's the extreme example, obviously, who plays with a high pace because he's going a million miles an hour. When Richie's playing at a high pace, it's because he's making the next pass instantly. He knows where the puck needs to go, pushing it up ice and making progress that way, and then getting to his own spot. So I think that's going to be the big thing with him moving forward. We, we kind of mentioned his weaknesses already, but aside from the skating, is there an area of the game you'd like to kind of see him take a step in? I think you already sort of touched on it, and that's the – consistency of his physicality right he he is a big kid and i think that he has at times shown sort of a we'll call it a power forward light game um he's not somebody that's out there you know throwing the body heavily but he's a really strong defensive player and i think he could be an excellent defensive player if that sort of physicality gets taken up a notch um and i think the goal scoring numbers will come too when he's able to get to the net a little bit more consistently and, and find his way to, to playing between the hash marks and, and crashing the net and getting some of those greasy goals that a guy like Colby Barlow does, right? And um, at the NHL level, that's where you're going to make your living. And Richie just needs to get a little bit stronger, a little bit more dialed in more consistently in that regard to win those battles in the corners, get to the net and, and be a consistent two-way guy. All right. You alluded to it a little bit earlier, but where do you kind of see him sitting right now in the NHL draft? Yeah, uh, you know, Bob McKenzie's rankings just came out and he was in the like early teens there. Um, I, I think that's probably ultimately where he ends up. 
at the end of the day, he's a strong two-way center prospect, which they don't grow on trees. Um, good skill level, good vision, good IQ. Skating is is good, but not great. Um, lots of improvement to be had there, obviously. I think that definitely that's probably where he ends up is in that like just maybe outside the lottery range. I think the team is gonna is gonna really like him in that spot. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, currently I kind of have him sitting in the twenty to thirty range. I wouldn't be shocked to see him move up a few spots into that the teens, like you said, because he is a two way center and a guy that I think teams will covet at least in terms of projection. Um, one of the interesting comparisons I had someone give me for him was it was Bo Horvat. So. If you're getting a center like that kind of at the next level, maybe with a little bit more of the playmaking lean rather than the goal scoring lean, I think it's a pretty valuable player. So I think that's kind of a good spot to, to get a guy like that. But moving on to the next topic, and this is going to include uh, him as well, and that's the top prospects game. I think the big piece of news that we've all been waiting for this week was that Denver Barkey was added to the roster. Uh, my boy is finally there. I know he's undersized, but he's going to have a good game. I just know it. Uh, it's not often that a guy from Windsor likes a London night, so you got to give him props when he when he can. But yeah, what was kind of your reaction to Denver Barkey aside from instantly tagging me in a tweet? I, that was honestly the first thing that came to mind. Oh, I got to tag Tony in a tweet because I know this guy's jumping up and down right now. Um, look, Denver Barkey is is a competitive kid. Um, he's an easy kid to root for, and he's a type of kid that can have a really strong CHL to prospects game. We've seen. Other examples in previous years of these types of players going into this environment because Barky is the kind of player that can play with anybody. Um, there's a there's a real versatility to his game. He's not somebody that's reliant on others to do dirty work for him. He's not somebody that's reliant on other people to get him the puck. He is somebody who will take the bull by the horns. And I think that it's a good spot for him to to shine and maybe some, prove some people wrong that. He deserves to be in consideration sort of for the top 60 because it seems like every list that comes out where <sighs> there's consultation from NHL scouts or NHL scouting, um, he's more in that like mid-round range. And I think that this is a good opportunity for him to say or prove, you know, I should be up there with, with these other guys. Yeah, it is only a one-game sample, so we all have to kind of ease off of making huge assumptions from it. But I do think this is a game where he can at least show he belongs. And I think that's going to be the big thing for him. But let's kind of get into the game itself. It's obviously going to happen Wednesday, January 25th, which is tomorrow court in terms of this recording. Probably today, if you're listening to this podcast now, uh, there's 15 OHLers participating. But let's get into a couple guys who you think can have the most to gain from this from the OHL. Yeah, okay. So the two I'm going with are Cam Allen and Kerry Terrence. Um, so Allen, just because he's had a bit of a difficult year playing in Guelph, thankfully his, uh, his shoulder injury healed up in time for him to participate in this event. And it's an opportunity for him to, to play with in a different environment with some different people and prove that he belongs at the top of the defensive class in this draft. And he's kind of fallen down a lot of boards. And it's an opportunity to, for him to, like you said, it's a one-game evaluation. But at the same time, it is an opportunity for him to say, Look, I'm just as good as, say, Oliver Bonk, who seems to be skyrocketing up a, a lot of lists. Whereas Kerry Terrence, Erie, struggling this year. Um, they're rebuilding. Terrence is a guy that I, I really like. I think, he's a, I think he's a really solid draft prospect. There's speed. There's uh, a two-way acumen. There's skill. There's uh, goal-scoring ability. It's tough to shine 
night in, night out uh, on a team like Erie that is rebuilding. And this is an opportunity for him to go in there and, and play with some really talented players and, and play well, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you on both those guys, especially Cam Allen kind of getting in there and showing that he's still one of the better defensemen from the OHL. But the, the two guys I'm going with is, is a defenseman myself and Bo Aki, and, and then a forward in Luca Pinelli, a guy that I've been kind of pushing all year, even though I have kind of felt like his game has fallen off a little bit in terms of, of, of play, pace of play and everything. But I'll start with Aki, and I think the fact of the matter is that like you said, Oliver Bonk's been the hot name among defensemen from the OHL recently. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was the main piece in the Shane, possible Shane Wright deal to London. And, and it didn't happen in London coming out and saying we would never have moved Oliver Bonk. I think that's a big deal. I think he's a guy that obviously projects really well. But this gives Boaki a chance to assert himself as the top OHL defenseman, who I currently have as the top OHL defenseman on my board. I think he's a guy that has so much skill and pace to his game in terms of moving the puck up the ice. And that's the name of the game in the modern NHL. So I think he's going to be a really interesting player, especially in a game like this, where it is a bit more of an all-star kind of atmosphere. It's a, it's a game where yes, there's some hitting, but like, like we mentioned before, I think Noah Warren got in a little bit of trouble last year from some people for hitting Shane, right? The way he did. So I think this is going to be a game where there is a little bit more room to run and room to make some plays. And I think that's where Boak is going to excel and kind of be able to put his name on the map. And as for Pinelli, I think, like I said, his play has kind of waned off a little bit recently, but I still do think he's one of the top OHL draft eligibles this year. He plays with such intensity and such such a intent, intelligent game, understands how to make an impact, whether or not he has the puck or whether he's off the puck. And he kind of does a really underrated job two-way game in, in terms of his two-way game. So I think he's going to be a fun player to watch in this game and kind of see where he can make an impact. Yeah, two great picks. Uh I'm right with you on Bo. I, I think he's the top OHL defenseman right now for the draft for the same reasons that you mentioned. The upside is incredibly high because he's an elite skater, um, definitely one of the better defensive skaters in the draft, in my opinion. And I think that his offensive uh, skill set projects really well. All right. Now, I see. I saw you wrote down game prediction here, so I'll let you give yours. <laughs> All right. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm going... 5-4, Team White, and I know that that's the opposite team that Connor Bedard is on, so hear me out because I know everybody's expecting that whatever <laughs> team Connor Bedard is on, which would be Team Red, is going to blow out the other team. But I really think that Team White's defense is better. Um, and I think that was probably done intentionally to you know counteract uh, Connor Bedard and, and what he's able to do. So I, I like what they've got on defense, and I think Scott Ratzlaff is, is a really good goalie. Um, he was really good at Lincoln Gretzky, and I think he's going to have a good game too. So I think Team White barely ekes out a win. I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one. I know that Team White probably has the better defense and goaltending. They've got a pretty good forward core as well in terms of this game. But I think Team Red has that one guy that's going to make a difference. And Denver Bark, he's going to have a game, baby. Um, no, honestly, it, it's such a weird little event. It's an all-star game, essentially, that ha does have a little bit more intensity because these guys are trying to put their name on the map for the draft. So it, it's going to be interesting. But I, at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. If I have to choose somebody, I'm always going to lean to the team with Connor Bedard, though. Hey, that's fair. I get it. All right, let's move on to our team of the week from the NHL. And that is the Los Angeles Kings this week. We've got three prospects, two pretty notable ones. And let's start off with Francesco Pinelli. Uh, 
because we've got to do something more Kitchener Rangers because that seems to be the only team we like talking about in this podcast. Uh, 25 goals, 24 assists, 49 points in 33 games, 41 penalty minutes and a plus 12 on a team that doesn't have a lot of guys in the plus category. So what do you think about his game so far this year? I think the one thing that I really like uh, about Pinelli this year, and I think it's a positive step forward for him, is I think he's been better as a two-way center, and I think he's been better in terms of his consistency of his physicality. I think that that's kind of wavered at times over the course of his junior career thus far. Um, it was a knock on him as a draft-eligible player, and I think it kind of carried over up until this year. And I think that this year, that's been a lot more focused and dialed in. Obviously, Kitchener's had their ups and downs as a team. But I think Pinelli has been pretty consistent in that regard. And I think that's that's a really positive step forward for his progression or projection, sorry, as uh, an NHL player. Because Pinelli is never going to be an above-average skater at, at the NHL level. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, at most, I think the best that he can hope for is getting to that sort of average range. And um, I think really increasing that intensity level and making that more consistent and, and really doing a better job of, of playing through contact, initiating contact um, really shows that he's taking that next step forward because without that really high end speed, that separation ability, he's going to have to fight through contact. He's going to have to be um, somebody that's a little harder on pucks. And I think that's, that's a really good positive step forward for him this year. Yeah, he's a really fun player because the biggest strength he has is he sees the ice so well. He's a really, really smart player, intellectual playmaker. And I think the shot that we've always kind of seen is really starting to show itself this year and on a more consistent basis, making him a true dual threat guy. Almost 50 points in just just uh, 33 games. It's a really good stat uh, stat line so far this year. I think he's a really, really good player. But like you said, that skating is always going to be the big thing with him. It's always it's going to be the doubt when he gets to the AHL. It's going to be the doubt if he gets to the NHL. And, and I think it's always going to be the question mark with him. So if he can kind of improve that and, like you said, get to an NHL average level, I think he's a pretty solid prospect as a middle six center. Getting a little bit harder on the puck would help. It would certainly uh, help as well. Next prospect on the list is Caleb Lawrence from the Ole Sound Attack. 11 goals and 16 assists for 27 points in 35 games. 55 penalty minutes, and he's a plus three. On an Owen Sound Attack team, that is pretty good this year. Yeah, so the big thing to mention with Caleb Lawrence is that he really hasn't played in like two years. We had the COVID season, that was a complete loss, and then he missed a year with a shoulder injury. So this is his first year really playing, um, other than a couple of games, in a while. And even though he, you know, he's he's a 20-year-old, it doesn't matter. Uh, there, was, there was such a loss, a loss of development time here with, with Caleb Lawrence and he's played well. I don't think he's played amazing, but he's played well considering the circumstances. And I think that obviously as such a behemoth uh, of a player, um, the skating and improving that further is, is going to be the key. I think that there is potentially something there. I think he's, he's a smart player and I think he does well down low. I think he understands the way that he needs to play. It's just, continuing to improve his skating and, and not just like the linear quickness. I'm talking about like balance and, and I'm talking about that agility and that ability to operate sort of East West and make himself a little bit more difficult of a cover for defenders that he can't simply overwhelm physically. Right. Um, confidence with the puck, I think is another thing, but that's something that's going to come the, the more that he plays. And 
when he's given an opportunity to be like a real go-to guy, which I assume will be next year. I'd be shocked if um, the Kings do not send him back for an OA year, given what has happened. I mean, I would be completely flabbergasted if he's in the AHL next year, um, especially since Owen Sound's supposed to be, or or not supposed to be, they should be a very good team, an OHL contender next year, which would be really good for Lawrence's development. Um, but uh, positive that he, he's playing again, seems healthy and, and playing reasonably well. Yeah, I think, like you said, the big thing is two years development loss is going to hurt any prospect. We saw how much it affected Shane Wright's development and, and kind of saw him drop down to fourth overall in the draft that year. And, and Caleb Lawrence missing not only one year, but two full years, basically, like you said, outside of a handful of games, it, it's detrimental to development at any, at any rate. I think the big thing with him is can he get kind of get back on track? Can he continue to play? At the adequate level he's kind of played at, I think you're going to need to see a big step from him next year in an OA year. And then it's going to be the long road. I don't think this is going to be a guy that gets to the NHL quickly if he gets there at all. I think it's going to be the LA Kings going, all right, you've passed the test at the OHL level. Let's get you to the, the AHL level. Maybe see some ECHL games even. It's going to be a long road for a guy like this. But like you said, those two years of impacted development – it's unfortunate, but you're going to need to see him take steps, unfortunately, a little bit quicker. But I have a feeling the Kings are going to be a little bit more patient with a guy like this as well for the same, for those exact reasons. Yeah, and if you're drafting a guy like Caleb Lawrence, given that he played so little, you know you're in for the long haul, right? Um, look at the way that the Kings handled Justin Auger. Um, Justin Auger, he's been out of the league for so long, I forget the pronunciation, but... Uh, it was similar kind of situation, not with the injury history, but with with a bigger guy who they knew was a project and knew they would have to be patient with. And they were very patient with him. And ultimately, he didn't get his skating to that level that it needed to get to for him to be uh, an NHL player. And maybe Lawrence gets there. Maybe he doesn't. But I, I think the Kings are the right organization for Lawrence because I do think that there's somebody who obviously is very – interested in Lawrence's potential um, and they're going to be patient with him. All right. Now we've talked about this last prospect already on the podcast. So let's just give a quick overview of him. Uh, a young man that doesn't have much upside at all. And Brant Clark uh, played some NHL games already this year. He's one of the better defenders at the world juniors as the, as the tournament went on, had a really good performance in the gold medal game. He's got 11 points already in just six games, 10 penalty minutes. He's already a plus five on the year. We already talked about how we think he's going to surpass 60 points in just about 35 games. What do you kind of ex expect to see from him for the rest of the year? Here's what I'm going to say. I think that the way that we're able to determine whether Brant Clark's season is successful in the OHL or not, it's going to happen in the playoffs. So he's going to continue to dominate the regular season like we talked about with our over-under segment. Barry's a good team. He's going to put up numbers. He's playing really well. Playoffs is a different animal. We saw these teams load up in the East. Barry is a team that I think does have a chance to come out of the East. Um, maybe not the best chance, but I think that they do have a chance. And if they do, it's going to be because Brant Clark is the best player in the OHL playoffs. And I think that's what he needs to be in order for Barry to be the Eastern Conference champ champions this year. And, and that's not talking about the highest point producer. I'm talking about the best player. And somebody who's dominating at both ends. And that is what is going to determine whether this, I'm not going to call it an experiment because he should have been sent back to the OHL, but that's what's going to determine whether, 
you know, his play in Barry to finish the year was really good, good, excellent, exceptional, et cetera, whatever adjective you want to use. Yeah, we talked about how so many teams in the league loaded up, especially in that Eastern Conference. But we didn't, we talked about it briefly, but getting Brent Clark at the time they did was kind of like a trade acquisition of their own without having to give up a whole lot for Barry. So I think, like you said, the playoff performance is going to be what matters with, with Clark. I think next year he's going to be a pro anyway, so it's not going to really matter. He's going to be a really good player in the future, and I think that's that's really what this all comes down to. Is he successful in the OHL? We're going to need a couple months to see that, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm, I'm interested. I, I'm intrigued. I really want to see how Barry does in the playoffs this year, and, and Clark especially. All right, that does it for us today, Brock. You can follow Brock at Brock Otten on Twitter. You can follow myself at the Tony Ferrari. Without further ado, thank you for listening as always, and make sure you tune in next week to THN on the O.